This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We are learning for the schos, tonight it's actually sponsored, for the schos of Emmanuel Ben Luiza, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should bless him with Parnasa Hatzlacha and health for his entire Mishpacha. As well, we are also learning for Lefwash Lema Absolut Avot to Cassandra Bas Pulo. And we're also learning tonight for Hatzlacha and all her endeavors for Sigalit Bat Miriam. Uh, now, all the work that she's going to be doing for spreading whatever it is that she's going to be spreading the Torah, the, like these big plans in the work, but it's should be with Hatzlacha. And tonight we're also learning Leilu Nishmat to Baruch ben Peretz, to Avram ben Chaim Yehuda, and Yechezkel ben Avraham. Okay, so tonight, uh, like I have to like, tonight's a class that... I have, like, every class I have to, you know, I try to give a little tefillah, a little a prayer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu beforehand because it has to come out well and it has to come out clear. But tonight, there is like, there is an, a, a possibility that this could just blow your mind. I mean, the, the concepts can just blow your mind. It's like such an amazing, amazing idea. But I can't do it, like even like a little bit. I need like 100,000% of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's help in this. So, Vezat Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu should help us uh, tonight to be able to uncover something so amazing. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh my gosh, you're going to be dancing. It's like, it's like, oh, it's like, it's just like, it's just like pure awesomeness. But if it doesn't come out awesomeness, you should know that it's nothing to do with the Torah. It has to do with my delivery and my information of giving it in. That's why it didn't come out, uh, it didn't come out well. But, uh, uh, the, the information itself is, is beyond, like, like it took me, when I was like preparing it and I was learning it and I was like, it, it like, it took a whole new spin on reality, on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, on Aserah Maybe too. But like, there's so much stuff that just like blew my mind. So I hope that I'll be able to share with you the emotions that I was able to achieve by you know delving into this uh, this again to this topic. Okay, so it happens to be that a little bit I'm going to be presenting this information like I'm speaking to guys, just because it's a little bit of a different. You know, I don't know. It's just, just you know, I have a different methods of of the different group that I speak to. But uh, you'll be able to st- stick with me. Just bear with me on a little bit uh, of a few topics. But it's beautiful once we plug everything beautifully together. So first, I want to start off with uh, a story that I read with by Rabbi Pesach Kron. He put out a, a new sefer on Yamim Naraim, and uh, um, I was able to get my hands in it. And I want to share with you a beautiful story that it brings down over there from uh, Rav Yosef of Tertchim. I may be pronouncing it wrong. I don't know how to pronounce it. But anyways, this is Rabbi Yosef. He was the son of the Chayza of Lublin. And listen to this amazing story. So one time, there was a wealthy, <coughs> wealthy businessman. And he, had a, he was known to have like a very, very advanced, like high-end wine collection. Nowadays, you would say the tequila collection. A few years ago, you would have said a scotch collection. A few years before that, you would have said a bourbon collection. But like wine is always up there. And he was a very, very big maven. And he had a lot of high-end old vintage bottles and barrels. <clears throat> and one day, he had a very, very special guest. And he wanted to present his guest with, you know, the top shelf liquor. So he calls his butler, and he tells his butler, says, do me a favor, go down to the cellar, go to the back, to the top, he gives him directions exactly where the highest end bottles and, and, and barrels are, pour us, you know, take out a, a, you know, a bottle, and uh, bring it to us so I can share with my guests. So the butler goes down, and this, uh, um, you know, this businessman is, is waiting. And it's two, three minutes. Like, how long does it go down? I mean, okay, so he hasn't mentioned, but how far? You know, like, okay, fine, within five minutes, he should have come back. 
five minutes go by, 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes go by. He's trying to think the business has like, what's going on? And you know, when, when you're talking to somebody and you're thinking about that, you can't concentrate. He's like, he's talking to this special guest and he's like, you know, I'm sorry, I got to check. It's been already 25 minutes. I don't know where my butler is. He goes and he goes down to the cellar and he opens up to the cellar. It's a huge cellar. And he goes over there and his mind, like his eyes just like pop out of the sockets. What he sees over there is barrels all over the floor, glass all shattered. But the wine is just pouring all over the floor. And he sees here like his, his, his whole collection is just pouring hundreds of thousands of dollars that he has over here, invested over here. It's just all over the place. And he's looking for his, his he's trying to say whatever he can. He's trying to find this butler. What's going on? What's, what, where, where are you? And he's looking from all corners of the butler's nowhere to be found after he finishes you know minimizing the damage he starts looking for the butler all over the house he goes into one of his uh one of his rooms in his mansion and he sees his butler sitting there on the recliner has a little pipe and he's reading a newspaper and he goes to the butler and before even he's been able to speak like he's his like mouth is open and the butler looks at him and he's like oh i'm happy that you came he closes the newspaper folds it nicely puts it down on the side <clears throat> And then he goes and he says, you know, I want to speak about uh, um, an increase in salary for my, uh, for my work over here. And the business is like, increase in, he's like, you just lost me hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, what's going on? He's like, you want an increase? Says Rav Yosef, the son of the Chais of Leblin. He says, aren't we all like that? We're coming to Rosh Hashanah. We're coming to Yom Kippur. We're coming to Yom Din. And we go over here and, and we have got a list of things that we want better that happened last year. But the question was, were we good? Like, like, were we, you know, like, did we do what we needed to? Did we, or did we end up being there like that butler and spill the wine, spill all that, that valuable things that our master has given us and we've wasted it and now we're going and we're asking for a raise. Maybe we had some opportunities of tzedakah, of mitzvahs. Maybe we wasted time that we should have been learning Torah. <clears throat> but instead of feeling bad, we go and be like, God, we want to raise. This year, give us good stuff, right? <laughs> Write us in the book of life. Let us live out this life. And then we don't only stop with life, no? <laughs> give us some money. Give us, let us be very wealthy this year. We go and we ask and we stop and we have to think for a second. Wait a minute. Do we deserve the raise? How has our past year have been? So if you want to say, okay, maybe some of us, <clears throat> hopefully most of us, if not all of us, we could say that we've spent, you know, this entire year working on ourselves, advancing our spiritual growth. We learned, we've done chesed, we gave charity, we did mitzvahs, we did everything, we prayed, we did everything that we're supposed to, then fine. You come as a butler, you're a good butler, you go to your boss and say, listen boss, I have been very devoted to you. I have been a very you know, good to you. Now, please do me a favor. I'm asking for, for a raise. That makes sense. But what if we look back in our previous year and we say, wait a minute, have we been good? Have we been doing what we're supposed to be doing? And if we, if we don't, then now is the time to make a commitment and be like, you know what? Well, we got a few more days left, right? We got, we got a little bit of time left. Maybe we can make a commitment and say, listen, okay, maybe I wasn't good the entire year, but look at Kaddish Baruch Look, I, I'm, I'm starting right now. I'm starting right now. And then we could start off, go to the employer and say, listen, <clears throat> I may have not been the best worker, but you could see the past week, the past few days, I've been very motivated. Very, I, I wanted to do good and I'm here and I'm motivated and I want to be a better worker. What is it that I can do? Let me go and improve myself. 
So if that's the case, then maybe we could go to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, listen, give us, you know, this coming year, an amazing year. Rabbi Saul Salanta goes <clears throat> and says, you know, how does it work when somebody has a physical need? Like, let's say you have a, a, a need for money or honor or something like that. So how, how does it work on attaining that need? It first start the first cause, says Rabbi Saul Salanta, is a desire. You have a desire for something, and that's the first cause, and then it leads you to one action after another action to try to get that desire that you wanted, whether it's money or whatever it is in the physicality, in the physical world that you're <clears throat> striving for. Says Rabbi Shul Santa, so what happens? What is that first cause for like tshuva, for the month of Elul, to become better, to become a better person that we could come to Rosh Hashanah and say, God, please give us a better year than it was previous year. Not that we're complaining on the previous year, but we're always asking for more. We're always asking for better. We're always asking Takadish Baruch to give us. So says Rabbi Shaul Salanta, you know what it is? He says, it's very simple. It's the blowing of the shofar. The blowing of the shofar, as the Pasuk says in Amos, in the third chapter, in the sixth uh, Pasuk, if there is a shofar that sounded in the city, the people are not going to be quick, the people are not going to wake up, meaning that if you hear a shofar, Right, you, you just like wake up. You, you you wake up. You're like, okay, well, what do I need to do? And when I was reading this from Rabbi Shul Salanter, I was thinking, and and maybe it's my own, you know, like negativity. I, I don't remember the negativity. My own negative outlook. But what happens if you have somebody that hears a shofar, and then what? So like. Does shofar wake everybody up? I, like, I know people that I speak to that uh, when, when you're hearing a shofar, it's usually a rating scale. Oh, how did you, you know, the shofar, you know, how was it, was it, was it clear? Did it sound like it was spitting inside of it? You know, like there was different like levels of the shofar blowing and that's what I focus on. How many people nowadays, <clears throat> and let's be realistic, when you hear a shofar, all of a sudden you start shaking the way that they used to years ago. The way that if you heard a shofar, you started like, well, wait a minute, Rosh Hashanah is coming, Elul is coming, you know, Yom Kippur is coming. You probably start, start shaking, this is, this is judgment day. So today, Be'ezat Hashem, I want to present a little bit of a different angle. That maybe some of us, when you hear a shofar, you don't shake in your pants, and you don't get so nervous, and you don't change your whole self. So rather, I want to go in an angle that changing your, how changing yourself is going to be beneficial for us from a different, from a different viewpoint. So in order to begin, we want to go to Parshat Shaitan. Parshat Shaitan in Devarim, chapter 16, verse 8, 18, I'm sorry. The Parshat of Shaitan begins with Shaitan v'Shaitan titan l'cha b'chol sharecha. The Pasuk, the Torah tells us that you're supposed to put judges and Shaitan, like policemen, law enforcement officials, in all your gates. Now the Medrash brings down something very interesting. <clears throat> that if you have your own judges... And you make sure that you're living your life in the way of the Torah, then you're going to be fine. Meaning that if you don't take into your own hands the judgments, HaKadosh Baruch Hu God has to mix into the judgment and then it will be more difficult and it comes with suffering. The Medrash goes into explain that. We're going to explain this, this concept. The Medrash goes and explains. Rabbi Lezer goes and says, where there is judgment, there is no judgment. Listen to what I'm saying. So Rabbi Lezer says, where there is judgment, there is no judgment. Where there is no judgment, there is judgment. How so, says Rabbi Lezer, that if there's judgment performed below, it will not have to be performed above. If judgment is not performed below, it would have to be performed above. Meaning, 
on a very simple level. If you don't judge over here in this world, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to get involved and he has to judge. But if we judge over here, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, wait a minute, you're taking care of business? Okay, fine, go take care of business. Chaim Yaakov Goldvich, uh, the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva Karen goes and says that, you know, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when God judges an individual, and there is a judgment on that individual. It's not like a punishment. You know, like in, in, in this world, if there's a judgment against a person, it's a punishment. It's a fine. It's a, you know, whether it's a prison sentence, whatever it is, there's a judgment and there is, there is a punishment associated with that. In the spiritual world, it's not a punishment. It's not, a, we tend to see it as a punishment, but it's not in essence a punishment. What it really is, it's to notify the person that you have to improve. And these notifications, are sometimes noted or seen or appear as punishments. But really, it's a notification. Hey, wake up. You're going in the wrong direction. Sort of as if you're driving on the highway and there's that rigid uh, you know, bumps on the, along the road that if you veer a little bit to the left, all of a sudden your car starts shaking to start to you know, wake you up. Or if you have like the self-driving you know, uh, you know, capabilities in your car, especially if you're on cruise control, and if you're not holding onto the steering wheel for a long enough time, all of a sudden the steering wheel shakes and says, hey, you know, hold onto the steering wheel. You have to go and drive. Sort of like a wake-up call. Hey, you have to do something different. That's what the punishment is in the spiritual world. Granted, we tend to see punishment in the spiritual world as regular punishment over here because that's how it manifests itself. But the background behind the punishment is really just, hey, you're doing something wrong. Try to fix yourself. Try to veer your path. Try to go and drive straight. So the idea behind here is a very, very simple idea. And a very, very powerful idea, and this is the idea behind the title of this, of this class, that if there is being judgment done in this realm, whether it's you, whether it's this world, whether it's the city, whether, whatever, however you want to identify it, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you know what, you're taking care of business, I don't have to do it. But if there is no judgment over here, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to go and has to get involved, and then there is judgment that has to go get uh, you know, put into place over here. Now let's take this a step further. We're just this a, a big part of this class is just going to be the introduction to get to the main point. The Shari Tshuva, Rabbi Yana goes and says in the fourth uh, in Shar in, in Dalim, in the fourth gate, in the fourth chapter, Ois Yud Aleph, the eleventh uh, paragraph. It speaks about karis. It speaks that when someone has karis or misa, where, where someone is has a death penalty. Now, if somebody did a sin of kares, of getting cut off from God, right? There's 36 sins. We spoke about this in previous uh, years. You can check on Torah anytime. We spoke about the different the 36 different categories that causes someone to get cut off from God. This is the kares. Let's say somebody goes and unfortunately commits a sin of kares or a death penalty of in this world, and then they do tshuva. So they don't get cut off, but there's certain aspects in the tshuva process that even though they did the tshuva, there is still a... a another factor that comes into play. And that other factor is that the sin does not get removed, does not get absolved, unless there is affliction, unless there is suffering. Only for certain sins. These are for karis, and these are sins that, that cause uh, you know, the death penalty. That even if you do tshuva, even if you do repentance, you still have to go through suffering. So says Rabbeinu Yonah Yashari Tshuva, that there are certain things that a person can do that would protect that person from the suffering that that person would otherwise need to go to due to the sins that he did or she did 
and then they did tshuva. And one of the things that Rabbi Yonah brings down is tzaka. We know a very famous pasuk in Mishlei in Proverbs chapter ten, verse two: tzaka tatzel b'mavis. Charity saves from death. And if someone doesn't have charity, so even if you're able to go and get somebody else to give charity, that's also like you did, you, you help someone do something that also counts in the same, uh, um, you know, and of course, the, uh, you know, Rabbeinu Yonah brings down, there's also chesed. Chesed is also very powerful. Because chesed is based off the Gemara and Sukkah. The chesed is even greater than charity because charity is only with a person's money. But chesed, kindness, can be done with both with a person's, you know, personal, personal, you know, being, and with his money. So it's even greater. <clears throat> and this is why the Gemara Bava Basra goes and brings down that when someone gives someone charity, it's greater if you're if you're able to go and you're able to appease, you're able to give like a nice word together with that charity. It brings it up to another a higher level. So. Rabbeinu Yonah goes and brings down that if somebody went and is liable for kares and he's doing tshuva, he still has to go through certain sufferings, but there's ways out. But what's corresponding all of them on the highest level? That's Talmud Torah connected Kulam. That is learning Torah for the sake of heaven. That's, that's, that's on the highest level. And this is why, this is what we tell people, that if somebody goes and if somebody did something wrong, well, one of the things that we say is what you're supposed to do is, is learn Learn more, learn greater, learn even more, and that's going to cause a you know like like a tremendous amount of merit that you don't need to go through suffering. So, for example, if somebody used to go and somebody used to learn one hour a day, now that they did this sin and now they're doing repentance, now they increase it to two hours a day. So, like it's it's sort of like an increase, and this is the, this is the point of where I want to get to from the shari, from the shari tshuva from Rabbeinu Yono, that if let's say somebody is going and he's learning and or she's learning or she's doing something for the sake of heaven and it's difficult for them, they're going through suffering. So someone's having having some sort of suffering. They're they're toiling themselves in learning Torah or whatever it is for spiritual gain. That suffering that they go f- through. That removes the suffering that they would have otherwise needed to go through because of the karis. Meaning that if someone did a really, really bad, bad thing, a bad sin, and they do chuba. Now, in order for that repentance to be fully completed, they have to go and they have to go through suffering. There is a way out, this was a charity and chesed and kindness. But the focus that I want to go to that if they do something, for God, for spirituality, and it's difficult for them, and they're suffering for it. They're tired, they don't want to go to a class, and they're listening to a class, and they don't want to go and pray, and they're pushing themselves, and it's difficult for them, so they're going through suffering right then and there. That suffering goes in place of the suffering that they would have need to go to. But explains Rabbi Rucham, what happens is that if you bring suffering upon yourself, and again, this is suffering, difficulties, pushing yourself. I'm not saying that you're, fa- again, there is fasting and there is, but I'm not saying that you're whipping yourself and you're causing yourself. That we're not talking about that, those scenarios. But where you're going and you're doing Avodah Hashem, you're doing work, spiritual growth, and it's difficult for you, and you're going through difficulties and you're suffering. And because of that suffering, you're going right now, and now you're not going to need to suffer in other areas in your life that you would have otherwise needed to suffer for. But not only that, the suffering that if you bring it upon yourself and you're making those those sacrifices to for spiritual growth, those are pennies on the dollars compared to the suffering that would come if HaKadosh Baruch Hu would have to go and send you those wake-up calls. Meaning that if let's say somebody would have to have a hundred pounds of suffering, just to use an example, 
if a person goes upon themselves and say, you know what, I'm going to take it upon myself to, to, you know, to grow and go through those difficulties, instead of 100 pounds, that's going to be less than one pound, a half a pound, you know, like a quarter of an ounce, a few ounces, like it's, it's pennies on the dollar. And this is the concept that we're dealing with, that if you take something upon yourself and you don't need HaKadosh Baruch Hu to go and remind you, and you're your own judge, so to speak, then what you're dealing with is such a different realm. You're dealing with pennies on the dollars. You're dealing with something that is so much, you're saving yourself so much. And I want to share with you something from a Pinchas Friedman. Listen to this from a Pinchas Friedman. Okay. A Pinchas Friedman goes and says, regarding the service of the Kohen Gadol, in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Oh, this is where it's going to get good. So you guys, stay with me. Okay, so that, that was like, like a basic like introduction. Now, now stick with me. <clears throat> the service of the Kohen Gadol in the Kodesh HaKadoshim on Yom Kippurim. This is based on the Pasuk in, in Achrei Mais, in Vayikra, chapter 16, verse 14. It says that the Kohen Gadol, the Lakach Midama Pari, takes from the blood of the Korban, the Kohen Gadol. And what he does is, it says, Yazashev upon him. He, he sprinkles it seven times. On the, you know, and, and the way that it works is that he would sprinkle once upward and seven times downward and he would count. And if you want to, this is in the Mishnah, Numa, chapter 53, uh, not chapter, page 53b, 53b, and then the Gimel, on the base, goes and speaks about what, what and how the Kayin Gadol would do the Avaidah, do the service on Yom Kippur. And by the way, this is also a tefillah that we speak, we, we say on Yom Kippur, and I'm sure you're going to hear, you recognize it once I say it. Then the Mishnah goes and says, the He would take the blood and he would count. And this is how he would count. Achas. Achas ve achas. Achas ve shtayim. One and one. One and two. Achas ve shalosh. One and three. Achas ve arba. Achas ve chamesh. Achas ve sheish. Achas ve sheva. And this is a prayer that we say on, on Yom Kippur. <clears throat> and literally what it means is that the Kohen Gadol would take the blood and he would sprinkle it. And he would count. You know, he would go one up and seven down. When we would go seven down, he wouldn't just do seven down. He would count one and one and you know one and one, one and two, one and three, one and four, and so on and so forth. So now let's try to understand this. This is very seems like a very like like what's going on over here. Like what's the significance that the Kohen Gadol is taking this carbon on Yom Kippur and he's sprinkling it upwards one time and seven times downward. And furthermore, why is he counting like? We don't count this way. You don't count one and one, one and two, one and three, one and four. Rather, you count one, two, three, four. So it should have been Achashtayim, Shalosh, Arba, Chamesh, Sheish, you know, and, and, and Sheba. Why is it Achas Achas, Achas Vishtayim, Achas Vishalosh, so on and so forth? Okay, I hope those questions are clear. Let's try to go and understand this beautiful concept. So the Gemara in Sukkah, page 52b, goes and says that the, that the Yetzahara, the evil inclination, has seven names. The Gemara goes and says, Shiva Shemos Yeshle There are seven names that the evil inclination has. Hagadish Baruch called him Ra, like evil, bad. Moshe Rabbeinu, he called him Arel. He called him like uncircumcised. David Kare Tame, impure. Shlaima Kara Saine, like an enemy. Shlaima Melech. Where are we up to over here? Yeshaya Kara Michshal, he called him like a stumbling block. Yecheskel Kara Avain, a stone. And Yael Kara Tzifayin, he called him the hidden one. Meaning that the evil, the Gemara in Saga goes and says the evil inclination has seven names. 
Now, what is it like with, with names? So the, the, the Pasuk in Bereshis, in chapter 32, verse 30, goes and speaks that when Yaakov Avinu was, was fighting with the Satan, was fighting with, the, with Esau's angel, Yaakov Avinu goes over to the angel, he says, tell me your name, what is your name? And the, the, the angel says, Lambazet Tishalashmi, why is it that you want to know my name? Like, isn't that like a, like a weird, like, what's your name? Why do you want to know my name? Like, why is, why, it's sort of like, why don't you just answer the question, what's your name? And, you know, Rashi and Chazal tell us that the reason why the, this angel, this evil inclination, the, the Satan, why he couldn't tell him his name is that the name always changes. A name tells you about a person. The rabbis, if you go to somebody like a specialist, right, he's able to go like a mikubal, he's able to look at your name, he's able to tell you a lot about you. A name tells you about the essence of who you are. So when you want to know the name of someone, you want to know what is your essence. So the evil inclination, what is your essence? What is it that you represent? The problem is the evil inclination doesn't have one name, he has seven names. He has different things that are going on, meaning that as soon as you get to know the satan and you think you figured that person, that, that, that being out, all of a sudden it comes from a different name. And that's why the satan goes and says, Lama Zetishashmi, you're not going to know my name always changes. It doesn't matter what my name is because it's always going to change. I'm always moving in all different angles. You think you know me? I'm going to throw you something out from left field and then come out from an angle that you never even thought about before. And that's why it's so difficult to fight someone or something that you don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. You don't know what it represents. You don't know this. The satan comes from so many different angles. Says the Ramah, Ramah Islarish. So listen to this, something so beautiful. Oh, the seven names of the satan correspond to the seven, corpor- the, the seven material forces in the world. There are seven ways that the satan basically attacks. And, and the Ramah goes, brings down in the Sefer Taris that when the Kohen Gadol goes once upwards, Achas Lemala, that represents the good inclination. The good inclination, there's one. That's the, the, that's the one. The seven downwards, the Shiva Lemata, that represents the evil inclination and the seven names corresponding to the seven forces that drag a person down into, into, into Aver, into sin. The Kohen Gadol, what the Kohen Gadol does, it combines the once upward into the seven downward to elevate the seven forces of evil inclination to join together with the good inclination. So let's try to understand this. The achas lamata, the one, the, the achas lamata, I'm sorry, the one above, that corresponds to the neshama, the brain. The man's, you know, yetzer tov, that, that corresponds to the neshama and the brain over here. And the way that we have to battle the evil inclination is to use our intellect. And to combine our intellect, which is one above, with the seven forces below that correspond to the evil inclination that try to get us to different tactics to bring us down. The Bnei Saskar goes and brings down. Now, if you're not with me, you're not, just stay with me, because it's going to all make sense soon. Hopefully, Bezalach Hashem. The Bnei Saskar goes and brings down in Parsha Shoftim. That it says that we know that we're supposed to put Shoftim, Shoftim, You have to put gates and guards at all your gates. So the question is, what are the gates? So we, the, 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 you know, we, we know that we have to put guards in our gates. So on a simple level, what are the 
and the gates of your cities you have to put down. But the Bnei Sachsa says, no, 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 over here we're talking about something else over here. We're talking about internal gates. We have gates that go into our soul, and we have to put guards into it. And this is something that we have to work on coming Rosh Hashanah, coming Yom Kippur. These are the things that we need to work on. These are the things that we have to put the guards and the gates. These are the things that we have to put the judges over there so that we could say, God, we're judging ourselves. You don't need to judge us. And what are the gates that you need to monitor? Says the Bnei Sachsa and Agadar, the, the Kalab. This is based off the Sefer Yitzira. He says, you want to know what the Shiva Sha'arim, what the seven gates are? The seven gateways are to the soul. They're the two eyes. There are the two ears. That's number four. There are the two nostrils. That's number six. And then it's the mouth. That's the seven. These are the gates that we have to guard ourselves, that we have to put watchmen over there to make sure and control to make sure that nothing is going in there, the wrong that shouldn't be going in there. And how do, what do we put in control? That is the one lamala. That's the neshama up above that we have to put in our brain in control to guard these seven openings that exist into our soul. And this is the intellect, the neshama that has to go and weigh every circumstance and judge every situation. Is it proper to engage in what I'm about to engage in? The Shlach Kaddish goes and brings down a little bit of a different angle. It says the, the seven gates... He takes the two nostrils and puts it into one. And that's the, the, and that nostrils is, instead of counting it as two gates, it's one gate. And it's in reference not to actually the smelling, but rather to anger. And that the, you know, whatever, maybe, maybe we're not going to go into that. The reasons why, why uh, the nose is associated with anger. Simplest thing, if you want to just say, if you see somebody that's angry, look at their nose. They're going to flare. And the, the nose is associated with anger. But we're not going to get it. That's a different class in itself. But, the, that's the sixth. So where's the seventh? The seventh gate, according to the Shlach Kadosh, is the bris. That's the seventh gate that we have to guard and make sure that we put guards on all your gates. So let's try to break this down just to understand this a little bit. So your eyes. When you look at your eyes, you have to, obviously you have to be careful what you look at. But people think this is only for men. And the truth is, it's not. It's not only for men, it's also for women. Women also have to be careful what they look at. And if you, if you really delve into the matter in a psychological aspect, a woman internalizes something much more than a man. A man could see something, it could be bad for that man, and it could result in a sin, and it's a huge, huge problem. But a woman could see the same thing, and maybe it doesn't result in the same sin as a man, but it internalizes with her. It sticks with her, and that's, that, that image is, is present in that mind. You, you know, every woman knows, you know, like every man also knows this about his wife, that she can remember everything, right? And it, as, it's just ingrained. It's just ingrained. A woman can ingrain things into their eyes. So when you're looking at something, people think, okay, why well, was a big deal? It's a man that can't look. No, no, no. A woman also has to put gates, you know, be careful what she looks at. Because that internalizes and it sticks with that woman. A woman goes and says, a man goes and watches a a short clip. He watches it, laughs, does something, whatever it is, bad, okay, fine. A woman is thinking about that. We're like, wait a minute, what happened afterwards? Did they get married? Did they not get married? Did they have children? What happened? Did they have their finances? You know, there's so many follow-ups that have to go and um, have to, 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 you know, continue to understand, you know, like what's going on with the... Uh, you know, with the story. So a woman internalizes it a lot more. <clears throat> so when we think about our eyes, and we think about things that we want to work on, coming Rosh Hashanah, think about what we're looking at. And it's not only good or bad, and that you can also 
in a completely different angle. You know, you could look for opportunities for chesed, or you could be blinded for opportunities for chesed. You could look into a safer, you could look in the book, you could look into a sidr. Next time that you go and you have to bench, you have to make an alamichya, you could think about it. Am I going to look inside or am I going to say by heart? We have ways to utilize our eyes. This is one of our gates. This is the gates to our soul. The question is, how are we putting these guards, these judges on our eyes to make sure that we're looking things that we're supposed to be looking at? And furthermore, our eyes are our gateways to our thoughts. What you see is what you end up thinking of. So you could go into the street and you could look at nothing. And you're, cause you're spacing out, you're looking into whatever it is in your mind. But you could look at the trees and you could be like, wow, how amazing God's creation is. You could look at a beautiful house and you'd be like, wow, look at the mitzvah of mezuzah. You could take something that you're looking at anyways and you could sort of convert it. Maybe that's not the best word, but you could sort of like, like transfer it into a positive aspect on a sp- a positive spin, maybe is a better word. A positive spin for the spiritual side of things. So you could go into the street and you could look at beautiful architecture, or you could go into the street and look at the beautiful things that Akadish Baruch Hu created and give thanks to Akadish Baruch Hu. Meaning that everything that we, our eyes are so imperative, so important to our day to day being. We utilize them so much and we don't even stop for a second and think. Even just appreciating it. Is something that all of a sudden now you're taking something and you're utilizing it for the benefit. You're utilizing it for Akadish Baruch You lose utilizing it for the target. You lose it even for gratitude to say thank you Akadish Baruch for the eyes. So we take our eyes and we utilize it for the good. And by the way, all that I'm saying about the eyes now can be transferred to any of the other gates. But let's look at ears for example. What do you listen to? So we're coming to Rosh Hashanah. You're driving a lot. You're walking. Okay, so you need to listen to music. Maybe take 50% of the time that instead of listening to music now, you're going to listen to a shir. You open up to our Anytime app, you go and you download some shirim, you go and listen to some shirim, you go get something that you say, okay, fine, let me introduce some, some kedusha into my ears. Or on the flip side, what am I listening to? Maybe I shouldn't be listening to something. Maybe I'm talking to somebody and they're saying Lashonara. And even, I'll take it even a step further. Forget about like the entire spirituality thing. How many times do we have conversations with people? Whether it's our family members, our spouses, our friends, our you know, teachers, our students, whatever it is. And we don't listen to them. Because we have, you know, our response in our mind. You know, like I've had conversations with people where I could see they're not even listening to me. They're like already thinking what they're going to say. I've even tried it by saying like things like didn't make any sense and they didn't even hop. They just like, you know, they didn't even comprehend that. They just went straight. Because you know, like, like sometimes you can see like a person is just like, they're not interested in hearing you. They just want to go and give the information that they have in their mind to you. That's the end of it. So maybe utilize your ears. Someone's talking to you. Stop for a second. It's not only about what you have to say. Sometimes it's just about hearing about what the other person has to say. So there are ways that we have to utilize our ears for the proper proper ways. Listening to good things, obviously, and, and helping other people. If people, someone's talking to you, Make sure that you give them that time, that, that, uh, you know, the ability to go and understand what they're going through. When you look at the nose, the next gate, a nose, you know, the, the, the shlag goes and says this is regarding to anger. How, how careful we have to be in anger. The anger that Gemara goes and says down that that's like, like serving a Vodazara. Coming to Rosh Hashanah, you want to work on something? Work on your anger. Make, try to prevent yourself. From getting angry, try to work on yourself on being calm. Try, and by the way, one of the ways of doing that is, is focusing on the positive. Being on the positive goes and prevents you from, from going and getting angry. You look at the mouth. The mouth, 
The mouth has two coverings. You have the lips and you have the teeth. And not only that, the tongue is the only organ that's lying flat as if to like, go to sleep, stop talking. The Agadish Baruch is telling us, the mouth, you're better off zipping it and locking up than, you know, than talking. But if we're already talking, what are we utilizing our mouth for? Do we speak positive or do we speak negative? Some people can only focus on the negative. So for the next week and a half, try to focus on the positive. Try instead of somebody going and, and, and pointing out something negative about somebody else, change your mindset and be like, you know what, instead of doing that, focus on the positive. Of course, we don't have to speak to Lush and Hara, but some you know, speaking completely negative, that, that's, that goes without question. But also, we utilize our mouth. We're, 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 you're making a bracha, making a blessing. Why don't you go and make it out loud, make it slow. You're praying, pray a little bit louder, pray a little bit slower. Do something with your mouth that's improving it. And of course, finally, the bris. Now, this is not only for men. It's also for women. This is also the, this is something in, in the realm of tznias. And we're not going to get into the whole topic of here because it's not the, the, the time uh, that I want to delve into it. But, you know, for men, this is something that we should uh, be working on during this time, or during all time, but especially during this time. And women focus on tznias. You know, like it should be a little bit easier now. It's not as hot, but you have a few weeks you know, or a few days, depending on when you listen to it, you know, until after Yom Kippur, where you could go and you could work on yourself and you could advance yourself and say, listen, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I am putting guards, I am putting something over here in place over here, and I'm working in it. We have here the seven gates. We have to go the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, and the bris. We have to go and say, listen, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we don't need any judgment. We're taking it upon ourselves. We're taking it under control. We're becoming our own judge. Now, everybody has their own strength, their own weaknesses, their own desires, their own temptations. And every desire, every temptation, every weakness can be either used for the positive or for the negative. You can have someone who has a desire to accomplish a lot. So they could utilize that in the physical world and accomplish a lot, whatever it is, you know, real estate. And, you know, it could be like, like information with college degrees and who knows what. Or you could utilize it to strive for accomplishments in the spiritual world. You have that same desire. The desire, let's say, for somebody to, to achieve a lot of money. So they want to get a lot of something. That desire can also be used in the spiritual sense. Every desire that we have can be focused on either the spiritual side or on the physical side. And sometimes, maybe it's good to, do, to tap into both. But it's so negligent of us that if we have this certain desire that we only utilize it for the physicality, and we don't tap into it, into the spirituality. You have a desire for, for, beauti- you know, for beautification, for things to be beautiful. So you could do that in the physical sense, but you could also do that in the spiritual sense. You could beautify a mitzvah, you could beautify a chesed, you could beautify some sort... There, there's, it, it, that, it, people have certain desires... That desire, if you just stop for like six and a half seconds and you think about the desire that you have, you could very easily transfer it into the spiritual realm on how it will be beneficial and growth in the spiritual realm. You know, you have people, for example, that are geniuses. And, you know, like I remember in high school, I had a, a classmate of mine, ninth grade. He was already building computers. Like he was like already a genius. And I don't know where this guy ended up, because I've lost touch with him after maybe 10th, 11th grade. I don't think he stayed till, till the end of high school. And, um, but like, I remember even back then thinking that 
they have like this person has the ability to accomplish so much. Like he was very, very smart. Building computers, like a, you know, like in ninth grade, and like doing like crazy stuff with programs and things like that. And like so, so like what's going to end up with someone with that type of potential? Either they could be great in the technology world, or they could tap into also into the spiritual world because they have so much power that they could have over here. Like I, I can't tell you how many geniuses that I know in my and have known in my day that they ended up wasting their time playing the most. Stupidest video games. Now, this I remember like something like Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know if even if this still exists. I still, to this day, cannot comprehend what it is with dice and this and you notepad and yeah, I don't, I don't know. The, the slide, you know, like it, it makes absolutely no sense in how people with such high high cues. I, I, I again, I, I can't comprehend it. Maybe you know, it's, it's a, whatever it is. Like I can't, I, I can't even begin to comprehend on how people go and waste so much and it's not like somebody that's like not smart i'm when i'm dealing with like geniuses like like really like people that are so smart i'm like why are you wasting time building farms like like i'm playing candy like like i i don't understand like okay so you need to you need to like chill out a little bit and you need to like okay fine but like but like eight hours a day like that's a problem you know like that's wrong like what's going on we have so each and every single one of us have so many different areas of potential greatness. And instead of utilizing it for the benefit, we utilize it for the negative. And everybody has something. We all have something. Even if it's like laziness and, and just like not doing it, we, you could still transfer that into just like sitting and just like listening to Torah classes instead of sitting and binging, you know, TV shows. Like we all have different areas that even it's our desires, our temptations, we could easily transfer that to in the positive. And now it might be very difficult for you to like stop cold turkey and whatever it is that you're doing and focus only on the positive. And that's not really the goal that I'm trying to present over here. But rather what I'm trying to present is at least tap into, tap into that potential that you have. Every single, we have some sort of potential. Tap into it at least 10%. For the benefit. At least 10% for the spiritual growth. We have so much that we could accomplish if we only go and we only open that potential. We only open that door. And the problem is we don't even look at that door. We waste our time. We go and we, we, we focus on the negativity and we don't even look at the positive angles of what we have. Every single one of us has so much potential. And it's coming to Rosh Hashanah because Baruch Hu says, I gave you so much power. And you wasted it on that? Like, I gave you so much time in your day. And all you do is listen to music in the background? Like, like I gave you so much potential in inspiration, in like creativity. And what have you done with it? Like, we don't want HaKadosh Baruch Hu to come to us and be like, wait a minute, I, I, I've given you so many tools, what are you doing with it? We want to go to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, no, 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 we're taking care of it right now. We're working on it right now. We don't need any extra judgment. We're taking care of business. You have people that were so successful, they're able to open up so many businesses. So you take that power, open up an organization. Open up something. There's so much good that's being dished out but there's so much more good that can be 
There's so much that we could tap into that we don't tap into it. The Shara Tshuva goes and brings in, in the first chapter, in Ice 10, Ice Yud, brings that HaKadosh Baruch Hu put Nishmas Chaim, put, put the, the soul of life into a human being. Now, the Shari Tshuva goes and breaks down to three things. It says, what do, we gain, what, what do we take out from this? Number one, that now HaKadosh Baruch Hu blew into us a, a, this Nefesh Nishmas Chaim, this, this spirit of life that we could recognize God. That's number one. Number two is that we could fear God. And number three, that we could govern over the bo- our body and it's all its actions. This is something that we have to go and try to tap into, to govern our body. To, we're in control of our body. There was once a, uh, a student that went over to his rabbi. And he said, give me advice. How do I conquer my temptations? How do I go and I conquer things that I can't, you know, I have too much desires. I have too much, how am I supposed to conquer it? So the rabbi goes and says, I want you to go to the student. He says, in the far outskirts of the town, go to the students and he will tell you exactly how to conquer your temptations. So the guy says, wow, you know, it's unbelievable. I never heard about this student. He goes and he travels out to the outskirts of town and then he has to travel a little bit further out. And he finally reaches the student's house. And this other student knocks on the door and nobody's answering. And he's waiting and he's knocking and he's ringing and he's knocking and there's no answer. But he sees people are in there. There's lights, is that? He ends up, he's like, no, listen, this is my rabbi sent me over here. I'm going to get my answer. I travel all this way. I'm going to get my answer. He's sitting on the doorsteps and he's knocking. Until the point was it, was, it was too late. He ended up falling asleep on the doorstep. When the morning came, finally the other student who owned the house opened the door and let the other student in. So the student sleeping on the doorstep wakes up, goes into the student's house and he says, I got to ask you a question. I came all this way. Because the rabbi sent me and he said that you could tell me how is it that a person is able to control his temptations. So the student, the owner of the house says, you see how I kept you waiting outside all night? And the, guy, the student says, you know, I noticed that. I wasn't going to say anything, but like I was up with that. And the student who owns the house says, he says, you want to know why? Because this is my house. And I decide when I'm going to let you in and when I'm not going to let you in. You don't decide when you come in. He says, you want to know how to be control over your temptations, your desires? You own your body. You own your soul to a certain extent, right? Obviously, it's a mind, But you are, you're the owner. You decide who you're going to let in and who you're not going to let in. You're going to decide which temptation you're going to let in and which temptation you're going to not. You have to be able to control your animalistic nature because you're the one who is the boss. And if you're not the boss, then everybody's just going to walk the Yetzirah and all the seven names. It's just going to come right in. And this is the seven names of the Yetzirah, of the evil inclination, that we have to put up those seven gates. The Shaitan, the Shaitan, we have to put those gates over here. Over here. And now we can begin to understand the Pasuk and Mishlei, chapter 24, verse 16. Kisheva Yipol Tzadik, come, a, a righteous man can fall seven times. What's the seven that the righteous man falls? Because the answer is there's seven evil inclinations. There's seven gates that we need to go and put on over here. So the question is over here that we have to ask, so how do we go and prevent and prevent and protect this evil inclination? The seven names of the evil inclination, the seven gates, how do we go about going and, and tackling this issue? That is the Avodah of the Kain Gadol and Yom Kippur. Achas lemala, one above, v'shiv lemata, and seven below. We take our neshama, our yetzer tov, and we take our intellect that's up above, that's one above, and we're using that to do what's right. 
But there's a caveat. We have to be careful. What do we have to be careful with? We have to be careful. The pasuk over there in the Varim, in, in, in Pasha Shoftim goes and says, Shoftim, Shoftim, You have to put guards and you have to put policemen in each of your gates. But the next pasuk goes on and says, You cannot pervert justice. What is pervert justice? You cannot distort the truth of reality. Let me share with you something I heard from a doctor that was giving a, uh, a lecture um, uh, that, uh, you know, about pregnant, pregnancy loss and, and uh, a pregnant woman regarding Yom Kippur and fasting, things like that. So the doctor said something fascinating. He says, what's the difference between men and women when you're dealing with a situation with pregnancy loss? He says, men, men try to blame something else. They try to blame and sue. That's the men's mentality. Women... They don't try, they don't, they don't go, they don't project it outwards. They project it inwards. They try to figure out what they did and how they could prevent it in the future. Like, meaning they are in control. Meaning, let, let's try to explain this. This is like, I, I was blown away with this. I, this is so true. You have a man, right? And there's an issue. So the man immediately tries to blame, okay, whose fault this is? You know, like, you know, and that's why when you have, let's say, a couple that's arguing or that's, you know, like, shell and bias issues. So the men want to know, like, okay, who was wrong over here? Like, who is right and who is wrong? Like, and you go to therapists, there's, like, no right or wrong. But, like, women don't care about who's right or wrong. Men want to know who's right, who's wrong. Who is to blame about the situation that we're dealing with right here? Women, they, it's just like, okay, we're in a situation. How do we figure out not to be in this situation again? Now, again, I'm saying in men and women, but, of course, this is very interchangeable. Some, you know, some men are the woman characteristics and some women are the men characteristics of these things. But this is a generalization. So women try to figure out what they did and how they could prevent it from happening again. Meaning that men, it's somebody else's fault. Woman, let me see what I can do. I'm in the one in control over here. Let me see how I could prevent this from having any issues in the future. So the difference is over here that when we need to work on ourselves, translating this into like Elul and Rosh Hashanah work, when we need to work on ourselves, so men... It's like, okay, wait, it's not my fault. Like, I'm going to blame somebody. It's my environment. It's my parents. It's my spouse. It's my children. It's my boss. It's, it's somebody else. And that's why the way that I am. And this is, you know, it's not my fault. That's not the way that we're going to be able to achieve success. That's not the way that we're going to be able to achieve growth. That's not the way that we're going to be able to achieve change. We have to focus it from, an, from the way that, that women present these, these issues. And that is forget about everybody else. What can I do different that we don't end up in here the same place next year? We can't pervert the justice. We have this information over here. Now we could very easily say, you know what? Okay, maybe I didn't guard my eyes. Maybe I didn't guard my ears. Maybe I got a little bit angry. Maybe I said things I shouldn't do. But it's not my fault. Look at my environment. Look at my situation. You think it's my fault? No, no, no. <laughs> like it's not. We could easily pervert the judgment and say, like, we were bad this past year. We were pretty good. Like, after all, it's not my fault. The Pasuk tells us, do not pervert the judgment. Make sure that you're able to go and see things in the right mindset. It's very easy. And this is why the Pasuk goes and says, do not take bribes. You know, when the state of Israel was, uh, came into being, they uh, wanted to put up a Sanhedrin. And it was a joke or whatever it was, but the joke goes on and says, like, how are we going to find 70 individuals who are not susceptible to bribery and, uh, and corruption? So somebody says, don't worry, with, you know, for the right amount of money, you could find anything. You could find somebody for the right amount of meaning, meaning that for the right amount of money, you could bribe someone that's not really considered bribery. You know, like, like, meaning that we're so susceptible, susceptible to like bribery, 
like the way that our human intellect works that we can come up with very rational ideas, logical deductions and conclusions based off very, very sound reasoning. The problem is, is that our intellectual process, we have a very subjective filter. Our filter are our emotions, our senses. We could come to a very logical conclusion that we think is 100% accurate, but it was all through misleading impressions that we came into that being. Meaning that we have the ability to come to some sort of logical conclusion that we think we're 100% right and we're 1,000% wrong. And this is how the evil inclination goes and gets us. We go, and for example, we do something bad. And the evil inclination can now do something good. So now it balances out to so don't feel bad about what you did. But in reality... The bad is in a separate category. The good is in a separate category. You'll get rewarded for the good, but you also have to do two for the bad. But the problem is that we have this subjective filter that we tend to see reality through our own lenses, and then we come into our conclusions that we think we're okay. So this is so important. Listen how this all plugs in together. Oh, this is so beautiful. So we have this idea that we need to be our own judges. We have to put the judges in our gates and we have to put, we have to make sure that we, we put the shaytim the shaytim. But we also have to be careful that we don't get bribed. We get bribed by our own emotions, by our own, by our own ideas. So what happens is, the, says the Chazal so beautifully, what does the kind God do? It says on Yom Kippur, it says, achas lemala lamata. The one above is counted with every single one below. That's why the, 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 you know, the Mishnah goes, it's always one and then the second. One and then the third. What it means is that when we use our mind to try to figure out where we're holding, we need to stop. It's not about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. No, no, no. We need to take that one above, that our neshama, our intellect, Akadish Baruch Hu into the picture. And being achas ve'achas. Are we doing it right over here in this one? Okay, we're doing it right. Okay, now shtayim. Achas ve'shtayim. Let's take up from up above. Okay, wait a minute. Are we doing it right on the second one? We always have to take Akadish Baruch Hu into account over here. We always have to take the Torah. It's very easy to get manipulated in our own mindset. And it's very easy to get distorted and bribed with our own emotions. And that is why we have to go like, the, like what the Kohen Gadol says, achas ve'achas, achas time one and one. We always have to go to the one above, to the seven below, the seven below, the seven different levels of the eight Sahara, of the evil inclinations. And that's the evil inclination is going to try to get us in different ways. And the only way that we're able going to tap into it and be able to conquer that is to make sure that we're tied up to the one above, to the Neshama, to God, to the Torah, Gadesh, to make sure that when we're looking down and we're putting the judges, the Shaitan and Shaitan, that we're connected to that. And which, and how many? Seven. The seven areas that we have to do correspond to the seven levels of the evil inclinations tactics correspond to the seven things the way that a Kohen Gadol counts because it ties it all up to the Neshama one and one, one and two, one and three, and so on and so forth. And now we can be, see something so beautiful. What does El stand for? El is Aleph Lamed Vav Lamed. Listen to how beautiful are you should be dancing and jumping. Aleph Lamed Vav Lamed. That stands for Achas Lamala V'Shiva Lamata. Aravayda, our work. For... Elul now, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, we're making sure that we connect that one up above with the seven below. With the one up above, that's our neshama, that's God, that's the Torah Kedusha that we're able to go and make sure that the seven below, the seven evil inclinations, the seven different tactics, we got that into check. And how do we get that into check? We got to make sure that we got all our seven gates covered. And this is what the Midrash goes and we start off, Rabbi Leza says that if there's judgment performed below, it will not have to be performed above. And if we have that judgment below, then we could come on Rosh Hashanah, 
And we could come and we could say, Avinu Malkenu Kasveinu Besefer Chayim Taifim. Write us in the book of life. Avinu Malkenu, our Father in heaven, Kasveinu Besefer Geula Yeshua. Let us have our Geula. Let us have the Mashiach come. And we could say, Kasveinu Besefer Parnasu Vachakala. We could ask for all these things because we could tell our Baruch Hu, yeah, maybe we weren't great this past year, but coming from right here, right now, we're putting on gates. On all our, we're putting our judges on all our gates, and we're making sure that we're tying their achas ve'achas, achas v'shtayim. We're tying it everything to our neshama up, up above, and we're making sure that every decision that we make, we're not manipulated by our own emotions and things. We're trying to figure out what is right that Hakadosh Baruch Hu wants us to do. And once we have that, then we're all our old judge, and with our own old judge, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu should bless us with such an amazing, unbelievable, beautiful, successful year—a year that we have never had this much success before in all areas of our life. Let us open up to some questions. Okay. Whew. I feel like I need a break over there. Whew. All right. I hope that came out clear because that's—if you didn't enjoy that, I don't know. Okay, maybe I did. If you didn't enjoy that, that's my fault. Okay. Let's go on some question over here. Isn't Hashem involved in everything? So if people judge, then God doesn't, so God isn't involved. We take the place or do God work through people? Okay, so, so this question is, uh, let me simplify the question. So the question really, from my understanding, is that there is judgment that needs to get done. Meaning that the way that we explained it, you know, was that if let's say there's punishment that goes into a person, it's not really punishment. But rather, it's something that it is a wake-up call that you should do something different. So meaning that when a Kedush Baruch Hu punishes somebody, it's not as a punishment, but it's rather to do, like you're doing something wrong. So if you don't do something wrong, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't have to send you that that punishment. So that's the angle that we're going through. There is no need for any negative judgment to go into place over here because we're taking care of business. And of course, Rabbi Yorcham goes and says, and something I didn't mention up there, like... We're starting now, let's say. So we're not going to be able to get 100% by the time Rosh Hashanah comes or Yom Kippur comes or even next year Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. We might not even get even close to 100%. But the idea is that we're starting the process. We might not be there. We might mess up from now until Rosh Hashanah. But the question is, did we start the process? As soon as we start the process, then all of a sudden we're in the golden state. Okay. What happens to the spirit of the animals that get sacrificed? The, the animals that get shechted, they, that's, that's a, it's sort of the, the idea of taking something physical and raising it into a spiritual level. That spiritual sense goes up much higher. So for example, if somebody goes and eats an apple without a blessing, that apple doesn't achieve its spiritual perfection that it needed to, assuming that it's a Jew and it needed to make a blessing. But if there is a, a Jewish person that makes a blessing, that apple achieves that spiritual f- perfection that it needed to achieve. And again, there, we're not going to get into to the Shara Gagulim where there's sometimes there could be sparks of souls that are in certain animals, food, you know, even inanimate objects, all different things where they achieve their spiritual goals through the, the, the spiritual actions that are done on the physical things. Okay. Um, I'm not sure this next question, how to delete those impressions? Uh, please, please uh, explain that question. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm trying to think of what, I must have said something. Uh, okay, but if you could please just, just clarify that question. Um, and yes, Shira, thank you for answering that question. Yes, on the, uh, on the, on the, 
on the same answer that I was going to give and I gave. If a person is missing one of their senses, does that affect the spiritual reflection of that gateway? Absolutely not. No. So if let's say somebody, um, well, in a sense, it does prevent negativity and positivity to come in, but they still have the ability to go and to achieve it. Now, again, I'm not talking about someone that's completely blind because obviously if someone can't see, then they can't have that ability to go and look at the positive versus look at the negativity. But if somebody has uh, what I, the way that I'm looking at this is, is a, a defect in the senses, meaning that it's, it's decreased because if they obviously if they don't have a sense, they can't achieve um, anything positive or negative. In that sense, obviously, because it's 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 just not being there. It's just like if you don't you don't have a sixth sense of like knowing the future, so you can't achieve something positive or negative on that. Okay, uh, where are we over here? Uh, you're also obsessed with NDEs. Been looking at that too. Gets confusing though. Okay, I'm not sure that doesn't seem like a question. Seems like more of a, a comment. Um, okay, never mind. This is a question. Okay, conversation between you two. I'm going to leave that to you. Um, okay, I'm skipping all that stuff with and uh, near death experience because I'm assuming that you guys were talking about that yourself. Okay. I don't think I don't see any questions. Why do the animals eat each other? That's a great question. Some animals animals are carnivorous. There they they eat other animals and other animals are, you know, uh, live on a, a plant life. Uh, I would, to, to give a spiritual answer in here, I have a thought about it, but I don't know a source of it. So I don't want to, you know, say, but it's along the lines that there is, um, you know, there, there is a spiritual and a physical goal for each creation. And some creations need to achieve that through one method and other creations need to achieve it through a different uh, a different method and there is a very very big benefit also if you realize that the the kosher animals don't eat other animals there it, it it's you are what you eat and kosher animals are not you know animals that that eat other animals because that also would affect that animal that meat and it will and in time and you know in effect affect you as well okay uh, we're over here. Okay. Uh, um, okay. Next question over here. I'm sorry, but for the respect of a lot, why not avoid things different to this year? Uh, okay. I'm sorry. I don't know what I avoided over here. So please, uh, I usually at the end of every class, I leave it open up to any questions. It doesn't have to be anything related to the class. So feel free, uh, you know, to, to put up anything. I don't want mean to, or intend to avoid anything. So you can bring up any question that you want over here. Okay. Uh, thank you. Okay, Baruch Hashem. Okay, we got one positive thing already about the about this year. Okay, good. Um, the seven levels. Okay, so would you be able to just clarify what the seven levels have to do with the Yitzhara? The seven levels are the seven names of the evil inclination, and we didn't get into that uh, into that today. I have to actually do a little bit more of learning it. I gave a class many years ago about the evil inclination, but I didn't really delve into this thing, and I I don't remember seeing a source if we could pinpoint the seven names of the evil inclination and the seven tactics and the seven basically levels. But we know that there is seven, seven names and there's seven different, uh, uh, powers we could speak about that, that, that are the 
background behind the evocation, the Eitzahara. And these are things that we have to go and make sure that we, uh, you know, protect ourselves. Now, of course, it would be great to be like, okay, the Eitzahara goes from this angle, it goes on anger, and it goes on this, and it goes everything. I haven't seen a source for that yet. I haven't seen like a, a, a full layout on that, that yet. But I would, if anybody here has, please do share. Okay. As far as punishment, what about when it's like confusing test? Like when it looks wrong, but it's not. When Mordechai went against Haman and it looked worse before it got better. Same with Moshe when he went to Paro. So, so that is, is, that test is a little bit different. That, so when you go and when you do something, and this, by the way, is a great example because it happens to each and every single one of us where we go and we start doing what is right. And not always, but sometimes instead of seeing like a positive feedback, like from God, from like the spiritual side of things, we see a negative feedback. Like, so Mordechai, he started doing what he was supposed to be doing, and then it, it came negative. Moshe Rabbeinu started doing what and it came out as a negative, right? That the power went even worse on the Jewish nation. So we see over here that he did what he was supposed to, and it came back negative. So this is part of the part of the test. And the proof of the point is, is that when you look at the big picture, you can see how it really was all for the positive. But part of the test is that when you do something, we have to do things for altruistic purposes, meaning that we can't do it for our own purposes because then it's not really real. So what Akadosh Baruch sometimes does is that he, we, we do something and Akadosh Baruch says, oh yeah, you're for real. And I'm not saying this is the situation with Haman. I'm not saying the situation with, you know, Mordechai and, and Para. I'm just like, you know, for each in their own. Where Akadosh Baruch sometimes says, okay, let's see how real you are. And then we see like, okay, do you stick through it? And the proof of the, the easiest example that I've dealt with way too many times where you have people that became religious and then they come and start complaining. I don't understand. Like I came religious, but I'm still not making a lot of money. I'm still not married. I'm still not that. So, so I go to them. So you didn't come religious to listen to God. You came religious because you thought it was a business transaction. You thought that if you do this, you'll get that. So I'm like, that means that you were never really fully vested into it. You want to be fully vested into something that's not means based off what I'm going to receive, what I'm going to get. So sometimes what Akadosh Baruch will do will be like, okay, you did the right thing. Okay, now let's see if you're going to continue it if you don't think you're going to be getting what you're going to be getting. But what we see over here from Paro, from, uh, from Moshe Rabbeinu, from Mordechai, from Haman, that even if you continue and you do the right thing and you continue doing it, when you go look at the big picture, you'll see how everything worked out for the benefit and you really did get what you wanted to get. Okay, how do, oh, okay, here's a follow-up on the, on the explanation. How to delete those impressions proceed from, oh, from the senses, from the soul, and the mind. Excellent. Thank you so much for bringing that up. So, so we know that we get blinded. We get bribed based off our, uh, you know, emotional, you know, senses. And like, like we have so many, when we look at something, we, we have so many different, you know, synapses we have so many different thoughts that come in and give us the final solution the final reason of why something happened and we get very easily bribed that we could assume something is right well really it's wrong because we're you know emotionally bribed in the, in the simplest sense so how do we get out of those impressions of those negative impressions that maybe is not true and that is what's the achas lemala the achas lemata this is where where it was actually achas lemala the shivalamata this is where the kohen gadol before he did anything it was always tying it to one above and then going one below and then one above and one below. And that's why it's one and one, one and two, one and three, not one, two, three. Because before everything that happened, 
the, the way that we're supposed to do so we have we have something that we have to think about like hey are we doing something that's right we could say yeah of course it's right I like I, yeah of course I'm doing it right but no you have to take a step back and be like wait a minute is this really right what I'm doing let's take a step back and then we tie into the neshama the neshama is, is, is our intellect and we use our intellect and sometimes it's very beneficial to go and bring in somebody else's intellect so some people the intellect is not so uh, you know understanding about all the Torah so you go and you speak to a rabbi you speak to a mentor you speak to somebody be like okay wait a minute am I doing something that's right and that's where you take the, the, the impressions below and you tie it to the one above. And the one above we know is a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And we know one above is a Torah. We make sure that what we're doing and we're assuming that's right, we're like, hey, wait a minute. Now let's take a step back. Like, is this right what I'm doing? And I could tell you, I could give you many examples of me and myself, like different things that I was like, okay, wait a minute. So I'm giving classes in certain groups of people, certain people, is it right? And like, I was like, I don't know, is this something that I should be doing? I went and I asked my rabbis. You know, like I was like, maybe I'm like too motivated to say one thing. Like sometimes we have to go, we have to take a step back and we have to ask, like, is this the right thing to do? And I remember there are certain questions that I had of my own personal things that, you know, of, of you know, it, whether it's classes or interactions or different things that I had to do. And I was like, something, it, it just doesn't feel right. And I had to keep on going and asking to the rabbis and every rabbi until like they kept on telling me again, again, the same thing until I finally got the point. I'm like, okay, fine. Like, this is where, where I need to be. But like, we have to take that step back. And say, okay, wait, we think that it's right, but now let's tie it to the one above. And that's how we go. And, and sometimes the one above is we use our intellect and we come to our own conclusion. But many times we have to go and we have to ask. And I can't tell you how many people that I've spoken to that were like so wrong on their, on their assumptions on things. Like even in dating, where they were like, wait, no, I need to marry somebody because, because they need this quality. I'm like, Why? Why do they need that quality? Example that I gave you before as I was dealing a lot with the Russian community. They, I need to marry somebody that they speak Russian. Why? You speak perfect English. No, my great-grandmother, if she comes to them in a dream and she wants to like, I'm like, what? You're not marrying your parents. Like, marrying you. Forget about like everything else that's going on. Like, that's why you're throwing away Shituchim because of something that's so idiotic. Like, focus on modesty. Focus on, on, on personality traits. The main thing, no, make sure that she speaks Russian because then make sure, like, like the, the, the things that make absolutely no sense. And we think it's 100% right. People keep you with so much confidence. This is obviously what I need to do. I'm like, no, no, you're single for a reason because you're an idiot. Like, no, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Like, come on, you got to think, you got to take a step back for a second. You got to go, and sometimes you have to ask other people. Okay. Uh, thanks so much. Have a great day. Okay. Why do, we, why do we say our Averis out loud in shul? Shouldn't it be private thing between you and Hashem? I feel like this takes away when we say it out loud. It kind of makes them more okay because everyone is saying it and it's less personal. So when you're dealing on generalized, like, like you know, I mean, you know, like, like where you're doing a chetz, that's a generalization that you, even though you're supposed to still, you don't have to say it out loud. You're supposed to say, you know, you're supposed to hear it, but you're supposed to still say it more in a lower thing. But when you speak about personal sins, you're, you're supposed to keep it quietly. You're not supposed to, you know, make an announcement in the synagogue, be like, okay, everybody, I want to share with you this past, uh, you know, year, I've done X, Y, and Z. No, no, those you're supposed to obviously say, um, pr- uh, you know, personal and, uh, and, and private. But, uh, but there's certain things that are just generalized. This is just what, this is part of the, the curriculum of the, of the prayers that people say it out loud. Okay. Kind of off topic, not a problem. You mentioned Shar Gagulim. Is it true that women are only incarnated to come and save their husband? So in Shar Gagulim, regarding incarnation of women, there's a whole interesting aspect regarding uh, women in Gagulim and, and how they get Gagulim. But, but the, the, you know, if they even are coming back, well, we're not going to get into all the details of that, but, um, 
there is quite a few interesting ideas regarding women and and reincarnation and it's not necessarily if you know nowadays where a woman only comes to save her husband it can be uh but there there are many people you know and, and you shouldn't think that way and, and this is really where i want to go to because then you could go to your husband and be like listen i'm only here because of you all right so you better ship up or shape out or like this is like not working out you know like no this is not the right mindset that you should have rather everybody has things that they need to work on and everybody has things that they can improve and they can and they can gain and but there is an interesting you know aspect when you're dealing in, with women and reincarnation regarding also Torah and Gilgulim and uh, you know whatever okay we're not going to get into that but like th- th- it is an interesting conversation uh okay uh oh thank you for the beautiful blessings okay about the question with the senses if a person is completely missing their sense of smell smell has connection with spirituality and as rob said it has connection with anger without a physical sense of smell does that person spiritual does does the person spiritually or as or the aspect with get affected um uh, okay i i don't understand the last thing cuz i think there's a little bit of spelling over there but if with anger and the sense of smell it's the, a person can have no sense of smell and can still get angry uh, that's the, it's more the nose um uh, that is associated with it but um uh, but there is like the the sense of smell is very in, into the spiritual because that's also when we smell and besom him after uh, after shabbos and things like that um of course there is an effect to a certain aspect but um for the growth aspect of it i you know like it's it's there but it's not something that should be you know focused on be like okay listen if let's say somebody doesn't have a sense of smell and, and by the way this is a very common thing because especially if you have people that have some long term covid effects where they lose their sense of smell it'd be like okay you know like how are you you know like okay so if i can't work on this the the focus shouldn't be like okay now i'm 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 lacking in this in this area and i can't achieve perfection in this area you could still achieve perfection in that area but granted it's going to be limited due to your limiting factors but physicality is only a tool to achieve the spirituality you still have the ability to tap into that spirituality even without that physicality but of course there is a lot of uh, details that come into uh, play with that you know simple example would be like if let's say somebody has to go and fix a sin of guarding their eyes but they can't see then they can't fix that sin but i could just brahu wouldn't put that in situation unless they needed to fix it so if i could just brahu took it away that means i didn't need it in that in that aspect but again i'm going down a rabbit hole that doesn't need it but but the idea is that even if you're lacking in something that doesn't mean that you're not able to achieve that perfection in the spiritual sense maybe to a certain extent depending on what you need to fix but that shouldn't be the focus you should still try to focus and to accomplish whatever it is that you need to accomplish Okay, yes, uh there are okay, no yes, I'm saying yes, I didn't read the question. I heard there are five parts of the soul. Why does the Itzahara have more levels? There are five parts of the soul. Um but the evil inclination already has more levels. The question should even be even greater, be like how come the good inclination is one part? The evil inclination there are seven parts. So how come there are seven parts and there's only one part? That's why one of the tzaddikim used to say, "I'd be like, listen, God, you have to go. You have to, you know, grant us some mercy over here. We're one versus seven over here. Not, not, you know, there's not an evil playing, even playing field. But of course, we have the Torah and we have Barasi Yitzhara, Barasi Torah Tavlin, and the Torah Kedusha is able to go and combat 
all the Yetzirah's uh, evil um, tactics. And of course, we don't want to mess. We don't want to, you know, entice. Uh, the Yetzirah is very strong, and we rather like you do, you know, leave me alone. Let me do mine, and we're not we're not asking for anything. But of course, like the Shabbat who created it in a certain sense that we're able to go and are able to accomplish it. Is it easy? No, I don't think so. Uh, maybe for some people, definitely not for me. Okay, I found the share of Kisuli Saifal. It's given with over beautiful with Hashem. So, oh, Baruch Hashem. Thank you so much. Okay, beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm happy that it came out, out good because oh, if it didn't come out good, it was like, it's completely my fault because it's so beautiful. Okay, um, let's move on to some, getting some more questions over here. What would be a good Musa Sefer to start looking if someone wants to work on their humility? So humility, almost every single Musa Sefer deals with humility because that's how big it is. But you could go to like anything, Shari. You know, like like you could go to like literally any you know, uh, you got like the, like the most Orcha Sadiq and all deal with that. You go to even the Kaveh Yashar, all deal with, uh, humility. So you, you could open up almost all, um, uh, you know, Chavis always. Like, like you could open up almost every Musa Sefer deals with that. Any tips on how to feel more emotion on Rosh Hashanah, especially with hearing the shofar? I don't feel anything when I hear the shofar. It bothers me. Any suggestions? Um, yes. So I, I would recommend, it's, it's very difficult. It's not just, you know, like it, it's everybody. Like if you if we don't put a mindset to something, we won't feel it. So, for example, um, if let's say somebody re, uh, reads or watches a very very emotional video or a letter that they read, if if they're not invested into that, the way that Hollywood works is that before they get you. How do they get you to get so emotional into it? They make you invested in the characters. So they make you invested in there, and then you feel part of them. But if you're just like looking at the ad, and someone says, oh, by the way, yeah, this person married this person, and then they died, and then they forgot about this person, and now they had to re-affect their love, or whatever it is, all the different, you know, uh, um, what is it called? The, the, the scripts in Hollywood, and how they try to make you feel, the, you know, the idea, basically, of a love story is basically feeling that it's lost, okay, that it's back, that it's lost. It's the same, you know, concept of where they try to tap into the emotions. In order to tap into the emotions, you have to be associated, you have to build some sort of connection to the character. So when you're going and you're dealing with anything in life, if you're not connected to whatever it is that's the purpose of it, there won't be any emotion involved. Simple explanation, it's like marriage, or even children, or even any relationship. You have to be connected to be able to, to, to feel that emotion. So when you want to feel an emotion, how do you connect? Connect starts off with, you have to, you have to sometimes meditate about it. So you have to think about beforehand. So like what the shofar represents. So you could, you know, you could go in different angles, whether the shofar represents the carbon of Yitzhak, or whether it's the wake up call and the crying. And that's why the shofar makes all the sounds of the crying of the doing the chuba. You have to stop for like a few minutes and, and meditate and bring yourself into a mindset. And then you're going to start to be able to tap into those emotions. But it's a, it's a, it's a work. It's not like, okay, let me meditate. And then all of a sudden, like it's, it's waterworks. No, it's, it's, it's a process. But you have to tap into it and you have to concentrate, you have to delve into it. The simplest explanation as a preparation is learn a little bit what the shofar represents so that once you come into it, you'll be able to tap into it. But the simplest, the simplest, most basic thing is that when you're hearing the shofar and you're hearing like the sound of, it's supposed to be like a sound of crying, you try to just connect yourself to God and be like, God, you've given me so much and like I owe you everything. I don't deserve anything. Like, and, and like, you, you connect in that angle, but like really connect, like emotionally, that's where you could tap into it, in my personal opinion. Okay. I'm not sure if I'm being 
understandable with my question and how I feel more emotions on Rosh Hashanah. Oh, well, I just answered that. I don't know if that... Okay, you, you asked me that before I answered that, so I don't know if that's... Uh, but feel free if you could ask again. Okay, this is a, real, a little bit random. I heard that when you're drunk, you're not completely liable for your action, actions. Hence, hence, Haman didn't want wine at the party. I also learned that Aisha Saita has her carbon in the earthen vessel, and Rashi says it's because she fed wine and made him drunk so she could drink with him, but she found the guilty. Then both each other... How is it fear if he was drunk? Okay, I do not follow that question. Um, I follow part of the thought process, but I don't understand if you're asking on how some... I, you know, the truth is, I, I could go at a few different angles in there. I, I'm not fully following the question. But but just to give you a little bit of an answer on the, the drunk. So if somebody gets drunk and does a sin, they can't say, well, I didn't know anything. Like, I was drunk. Like, you shouldn't have drank and, and done the sin. Uh, that's the simplest explanation. Then. But yes, of course, Akadish Baruch takes a lot of things into consideration. Okay, uh, let's... Uh, okay. Do you want if I just clarify the question? Yes, sure. Um, so the question is basically, we know that if you're drunk, you're not... I'd say you're still liable for what you do, but you're not as taken, it's not as big as if you were drunk. And so we learned that by an Asia Sosa, she, she, her, her tripod is in a, like a, like an earthenware vessel because instead of like a fancy, nice, like glass or whatever, because she fed, uh, whoever the man was, um, she probably thought like to fed him wine so that they could do the sin. In like fancy goblets, hence she gets the exact opposite, which is like a disgusting jug. And so the question is, if she, if we know that she probably fed him wine, then we also learned that when when she, you know, if she found out that she actually did the, the sin with him, then she, you know, has a very painful death, and that he, wherever he is, also has the same exact painful death. The question is, if he was drunk, then why should he also get the same exact punishment as her if she was not drunk and he was drunk? I don't know if I, I hear your question. I don't know if I follow your thought process though. I hear your question. Let me think about it. Let, let's, let, let's answer it. Um, it's a little bit of an answer I have. Let me, let me finish up these questions and I'll, I'll wrap it up with that, uh, with that, with that, with that question. Um, I hear your thought process. I don't fully agree with that thought process, but let, let, let me answer all the other questions and we'll take that. Um, I also want to take that one off, off camera. Um, okay. Uh, let's finish up over here. What to say from the prayer book if I emotionally probably won't be able to do everything on Rosh Hashanah? Oh, that's a good question. Like, that's something that I can't answer, you know, over here. If you can't, if you can only say certain things, you can reach out to me and we can try to go through, uh, like what's, you know, like the levels of, you know, first you should do and then second and so on and so forth. Um, is it better not to go to shul or to go to shul that doesn't have a proper separation between the men and women side of the shul? The mechitza ends around a bit under my shoulder. I am 5'2". If it's better for a woman to daven, yeah, it's better to daven at home and then go to a shul that's not, uh, um, that, that uh, is, is problematic. But again, this depends on a few factors. Reach out to me and we can talk about it. Um, okay, beautiful. We got, all right, look at that. We got all the, all the questions. So we have over here one more question we're going to answer. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.